Ladies and gentlemen, get on your feet, put your hands together, because it's time to march through madness! And now, your starting line of senior pastor, hailing from Houston, Texas, standing at six foot two or six foot three if you count the hair. He has a four and a half inch vertical and finally made his first free throw ever last Thursday. Here he is. Make some noise for Pastor Bill, the Serminator Cornelius. Welcome. I want to say hello to everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. I want to say hi to all of our campuses real quick. Let's also take a moment to give it up for our campus pastors. They didn't do a great job last week. So thankful for them. Bringing the word. Did a great job. So, so thankful for the difference they made. We had a great time. My family got to get away and enjoy some time up in the mountains in Denver and uh, Colorado, actually, and do a little skiing. It was a lot of fun. No one, we're, we're, all, we're all injury-free, thank God. You know, we had a couple of minor bumps and bruises, but all is good. And I got a chance to get away and speak in front of my church in Cincinnati. But my favorite place to preach is right here at Church Unlimited. So I'm glad to be back. Great to have you guys here. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us today. So, so today I want to talk about something kind of unique. Before we get into that, let's say our mission statement together. Our mission is to do what? To take as many people to heaven as we can before we die period. So we're all about here at Church Unlimited. So my, my kids a number of years ago got really into what was then called shoe game. They would say, man, you got shoe game if you got nice sneakers, basically, right? So I've tried to up my shoe game for this last ser- for the series we're in now. And so you may have noticed that, that the first week I came out in Kyrie's, Kyrie Force. And so then the week after that, I came out in Yeezy's, which is like apparently like the the high end of the shoe game. So I had the Yeezys, right? Kanye West, you know, uh, shoe that he designed. And then today I'm in my Steph Curry birthdays. And so that's what these are called. And so it's cool. I was actually opening up the lip, the, 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 uh, the tongue of these things, and it actually says, I can do all things. I thought it was really cool. I know he's a Christian, so he's actually got verses in his shoes. Kind of cool, right? So shoe game's a big deal. So this is what my boys started to do back in the day. They said, Dad, here's what you got to do. You, when, you, when, when Nike comes out with a limited edition, then you buy it, and you, but you buy two pair. One to rock, one to stock, that's what they'd say. So you'd wear one pair, and you'd store the other to trade or sell later. And so that's what I, I thought. Okay, so I didn't do a lot of it, but I did buy one pair. I said, I want to buy one pair of limited edition shoes. What would you recommend? And back in the day, they recommended the KD what does? That's what these are. So I've got my KD Wattas, and I've, I've worn them once, and then I rocked them once, and now I'm stocking them. So I've been stocking them the whole time. And these used to be a, a, a pretty valuable shoe. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, you're like, what the? That's why you got the name. That's why it's called what the, right? So that's, and they're all different, by the way. Check out the other one. They're, they're, they're totally different. Like they're, sorry, let me get this out if I can. Okay, this is horrible. I'm doing a horrible job here. So, all right, there we go. So they're totally different by design right? And so they, they, they make them totally unique. So, so I have the KD with us, but, but uh, they told me this used to be more valuable until KD decided to turn coat, leave the OKC, uh, you know, Thunder, and go to, you know, Team USA, aka the Warriors, right? And so anyways, but, but these used to be really valuable because of who KD is. They're still of some value, but they were more valuable back in the day when he was kind of leading the way with OKC. But anyways, but so I had these shoes, but what they taught me was, so my son Cole, um, he actually traded two older pair of shoes for another pair of better shoes, uh, but then he's, he's being strategic. He thought, I'm going to trade up. So he got these two shoes, 
traded them for another two pairs of shoes. Then he took the, no, I'm sorry, he traded one pair of shoes for two pairs of shoes. Is that right? Then you took the two pairs of shoes and traded both of them for some, what were they called? LeBrons? Is that right? What were they? Help me here. Help me. Huh? All-Star Game 9. That's what they are. So LeBron, All-Star Game 9. You can Google that. So anyways, so he got those. Well, then Mason kind of got into it as well. And so Mason started with a, a pair of $180 shoes and he began to trade up and trade up and trade up and ended up with $1,000 worth of product by the end of his trading game. And so he just kept raising the level. Anyways, so they kind of use it like as a business. So it's like a whole thing. And so how many of you guys are sneakerheads? Anyone in here that's a sneakerhead? Raise your hand across all of our campus. We've got some sneakerheads. So you don't have to be 15. There's some 30-year-olds that are sneakerheads too. It's okay. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Some 40-year-olds, right? Right. Oh, the lady. Oh, she's a sneakerhead. Oh, no, he's a sneakerhead. Okay, sorry. Okay, what's your... So anyways, but you know, now they've got now, uh, Nike kind of started it, right? But now Under Armour's doing it. Now you've got Adidas has really come on strong with NMDs as well, right? And so this is like all the rage now, right? So I thought about these shoes and I thought, you know what? What's cool about all these shoes is that they're limited editions. Well, the reason it's limited editions, you're only making so many of them. Well, you are limited edition because God only made one of you. There is no one else just like you. So just like the KDs, turn to first section, you say, what the? Look at them right now. What the? Because they're totally unique, and they're a limited edition. You are a limited edition. There's no one just like you. And, and the value of these shoes is only what people will pay for them. That's the value of any shoe. So in my mind, like I know Cole got these, these LeBrons that were very valuable, all-star LeBron 9s, and I'm shocked to tell you, but they were worth $500. I was like, what shoes are worth $500? That's amazing. I mean, there's no Gucci brand on that anywhere. I mean, like, what in the world? How in the world is it that expensive, but they said, Dad, that, that's what people are paying, Dad. And uh, they would buy pairs of shoes, you know, rock a pair, then stock a pair, and then the, the pair that they bought for 220 bucks, they, they'd turn around and sell it for 300 bucks, you know, two months later. I was like, well, that's incredible, right? I mean, that's better than the stock market, you know? And so it was incredible. And so, but the value is based on what someone will pay for. Well, guess what? You have been bought. You have been paid for. Jesus died on the cross for you. So you are of incredible value. You are of immense worth because Jesus gave his life for you. We're talking about this all next week, of course, with Easter coming up. That's what Easter is all about. Jesus died and rose again. We're gonna be unpacking that. But you need to know that you're a limited edition and that Jesus died for you, which makes you of incredible value. And when he died for you, then he said, all you have to do is call upon my name to be saved. What does it mean to be saved? It means he forgives you of your sins. He gives you purpose in his life. He gives you a fresh start. And also he gives you heaven. He gives you a free ticket to heaven. He gives you a place. He said, I, I will, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And so that's what you get when you are saved. I want to show you some scripture today. So pull out your notes if you would. And let's just dive right in to uh, Romans chapter 10, starting at verse 13. He says this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? So he says here, you gotta call on the name of the Lord to be saved. Now, let me just break that down real quick. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna teach you guys some theology today if I can. Now, we do theology normally. You just hear me teach, but I wanna stop and park on theology. I think it's a really big deal because in today's world where, where people are high religious, they're starting to add stuff to this and it's not what the Bible says. It says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't say anyone who calls the name of the Lord and also is religious and also is a good person and also gets baptized or is a part of this church or that church, or tithes, or you know, is, is you know, good with Sunday school attendance, or gives to charity, doesn't, it doesn't add anything. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord 
will be saved. Now, let me tell you some things that may shock you. If you are in a club and you have just put down the pot and you recognize you need Jesus and you call on the name of the Lord, you're saved in the middle of that club. You can be swinging from a stripper's pole and say, oh my gosh, I need Jesus. I'm calling upon your name. And on that pole, you are saved. I want you to understand how powerful salvation is. Now, some people get really bothered by this and go, hold on. I have a problem with this, Pastor. Where's the fruit? You're telling me someone can come to a church, whether this church or another church, and accept Christ and still go part of their brains out five minutes later. Yes, that's what I'm telling you. I'm not suggesting that's right. I'm just saying that it's not salvation specific. That the Bible is very clear. In fact, look at Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. It says this. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Some of you get frustrated. You think, man, I know a person. They accepted Christ, and there's nothing different in their life. I know they tell me they're a Christian. That they, they remember where they accepted. They went to some church camp when they were a kid, and they accepted Christ. But they party their brains out, and they're chasing miniskirts, and getting drunk all the time, and they're philanderer, and they're a horrible person, and this and that, and they're dishonest, and, and they say they're a Christian. Did they accept Jesus? Yes, then they are. I didn't say they're the best representative of our faith, but it doesn't mean they're not saved. If a woman gets married, if she walks the aisle of a church and gets married, then 20 minutes later, they are at the reception and she sneaks out the back to the broom closet with the groomsmen and has sex with them. We all know that's horrible, but is she still married? Yes. She's just a really bad bride. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like it's a horrible bride, right? But she still technically made the commitment. So what I'm saying is you can accept Christ and not have any other fruit in your life other than the fact you accepted Christ and you're still saved. Now some of you are really bothered by this. You're like, I have a problem with that. That's not right. I didn't say it was right that they act that way. I am not affirming that that's a good thing. What I'm trying to explain to you is that it's not that we shouldn't change, we should be changing, but it's that God's salvation is so good. Otherwise, what you're saying is, well, I think I should see some fruit. And when people say, well, I don't see any fruit in their life, I'm not sure if they're saved. Well, first of all, who made you the Holy Spirit? When the Holy Spirit is tired of his job, we'll have him call you, but until then, he judges, not you. And if they accept the Christ, they accept the Christ. And maybe the only fruit in their life is that they accepted Christ. That's it, Jesus come in my heart, done. You say, well, there's no way. I don't believe they're even saved. Well, are you sure about that? Because there's a guy hanging on the cross next to Jesus that turned to Jesus and said, Lord, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus turned back to him and said what? He said, you'll be with me today in paradise. Where was the fruit in his life? There was no time. There was no time to get baptized. There was no time to change anything in his life. I mean, he just said, oh, what did he do? All he did was call upon the name of the Lord. Please remember me. Jesus says, you'll be with me in heaven today. It's as simple as that. We overcomplicate the gospel. And those of you that say, well, I think that's wrong. I have a problem with that. I have a problem with someone coming to some church and that's, that's easy believism. It's just too easy to accept Christ. Well, that means that hard or easy is on whose side of the equation? It's on your side of the equation. But it's by grace we're saved. It, it's, it's not easy to get salvation because it took a cross to do it. It's just that the hard part was paid by someone else. This is why Jesus said on the cross, it is what? Finished. See, you spell religion, D-O. Do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. But you spell Christianity, D-O-N-E. It's been done for you. Jesus took care of the full price. 
He paid it. All of it. And some of you right now want to tap the person on your shoulders living like that and go, well, that's not right. And you know what? I'm not saying it's right to live crazy. I'm not suggesting that, that, that God's happy with that. But that has to do with your discipleship, not with your salvation. Do you understand the difference? Salvation is free. Discipleship costs you everything. Does that make sense? Is everyone with me? So understand this. When some of you want to tap someone on the shoulder and go, I have a problem with this because I don't see fruit in your life. I'm not sure if you're really saved. And what you're saying is you're not living like me. You're still doing this and doing this and do that. And I know those are sins and I don't agree with that. That's great. I have a brother-in-law and sister-in-law, really godly young couple, that they live in Honduras. He is a medical doctor. He has a general surgery degree, which I'm pretty sure, based upon just other people I know, that with a general surgery degree, you can make a half a million to a million a year, no problem if you're good, and he's very good. And instead of making that kind of money, which he trained under DeBakey in Houston, one of the best surgeons in the world, he could easily be doing that in Houston right now. Instead, he took his family, they moved to Honduras, they live in, an air in a non-air-conditioned home, there's no air conditioning anywhere, and he lives in the middle of the bush in Honduras, and he does surgery on people to spread the love of Jesus to other people. So what if he came and knocked you on the shoulder and said, I'm not sure if you're saved, I don't see enough fruit in your life. See the problem? That's a sliding scale. That's about works. That's about whether we're good enough. None of us are good enough. That's why Jesus came. That's why he came. We're not good enough. And when you say to me, I have a problem with that theology, my response to you is real simple. So you're saying that you have the arrogance to believe that you need to add something to the cross? That that wasn't enough? Hey, Jesus, with his nail-scarred hands and his bloodied brow from, from being beaten and being turned into holy hamburger meat with scars all over his body, with nail scars in his feet and his hands saying, hey, Jesus, I don't think that was enough. The arrogance for us to believe we need to add something to what he's done when he said it's finished. When Jesus said something, he means it. It is complete. Your salvation is done. Anyone, anyone, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Thank you, God, that your salvation is that complete, that powerful, and that good. Number one. To become a Christian, you must call upon the name of the Lord. Maybe you haven't done that. You can do that today. We're going to give you a moment to do that in just a little while. But you know, Christianity sometimes doesn't look like you want it to look because it doesn't look too, too churchy. This last week was really cool. I got to be face-to-face -face with Jesus. It was the coolest thing ever. Check it out. It was so cool. Actually, it wasn't Jesus directly. It was the guy who played Jesus in the movie, The Passion of the Christ. But I got to interview Jim Caviezel. It was really fun. And I uh, got to interview him on TBN. It'll be on Tuesday night uh, on TBN if you want to check it out. But it was such a fun interview. And when I was talking to him, you know, he played uh, Jesus in The Passion of the Christ. He also plays, you may recognize him from Person of Interest. That's, that's a TV show that he was a star of. Great guy, strong believer. But let me tell you something. It was interesting in this faith. He was talking about his faith in Jesus. This guy was very raw, but very real in his faith. And I was asking about his walk with God and when he accepted Christ. And all, I was asking him all kinds of questions. And he just, with tears in his eyes, he said, I just wish people knew what Jesus could do for them. I just want them to know, Jesus, how much he loves them. He was crying as he said this. And by the way, earlier in the interview, he'd cussed three times. I wasn't offended or bothered by it. I'm not trying to say that's actually a good thing. I'm not trying to justify that. The guy lives in Hollywood, man. He's in a dark place. And he's being a light there. And so his faith may look a little different than ours, but I'm not about to question his faith. And dare I say that he, he, he's, in a, he's in a movie this weekend, by the way. He came on, we talked about the movie. He's in Paul, the Apostle of Christ. By the way, here in Corpus Christi, it was sold out. You couldn't get a movie ticket if you wanted to last night. 
every seat sold out, which I love. The fact that Christian movies are actually taken off like that. You know, he's not even the star of this one. He plays Luke, Paul, the main star of the movie. He's actually played by James Faulkner. The guy, he's, he, by the way, is in Game of Thrones. He's also in Downton Abbey, the number one show in the world. Aren't you glad that there's people like that that are willing to use the best actors in the world are willing to use their talents to bring the Bible to life for us? Isn't that cool? I love that. Which, by the way, please go. Please don't complain there's not movies like that, but then when they come out and you don't go. So please go. Please, please make a time to go. I want to encourage you. I want to challenge everyone at the church to go see it and invite someone friend. I think it'd be great to do that. But let me tell you something that was so cool when I was talking about his faith. He was so raw and he was so real, and he just said, man, I just want people to know what Christ can do for them. He began to weep. He hangs out with a bunch of Navy SEALs. I don't know how that happened, but he's done a lot of movies with these guys, so he knows them pretty well. And he said, man, I just, I just want these guys to know the difference that God can make in their lives. And I said, James, you know this is going to probably hurt your career. He goes, I don't care. He goes, I don't care. It's not about that. It's not about my career. It's about letting people know the truth of, of Jesus. I told him, I said, you, are being, you have preached a better sermon in your movies than I think I've ever preached in my life. See, delivering a message about who Jesus is means living authentically to who God made you to be. And if that means acting, great. If that means selling cars, fine. If that means being in the military, being a great educator, great. You do what God called you to do and be a witness with the life he gave you. And if an actor can do that in Hollywood, then you certainly can do it in your life as well. We can make an impact. We can help people know about the love of God. We really can make that kind of difference. So check out the next scripture I want to show. It keeps going in this verse. It says, and how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? Now, would you underline three key words in this? It says, how can they believe in the one they have not heard? Underline heard. Then it says, and how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Underline preaching. And then the next verse is, and how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Underline sent. So heard, preaching, and sent are the key words here. Number two is, it's our church's job to preach about Christ. This is what we do, is we preach about Christ. Now let me break that down. What does that mean? Heard means we need to advertise. How do they know about Jesus? Unless they, they, they gotta know he exists. They gotta know what he did for him, right? So we are constantly advertising. I have people criticize our church for advertising. They say, I can't believe you spend all the money on a billboard, on direct mail, on social media advertising. I can't believe you spend money on TV ads. Why would you do that? Why would I not do it? We're trying to get the word out about Jesus. In fact, I've even had people say, well, they should cancel all the advertising, use all that money on the poor. Okay, first of all, that assumes we don't do anything for the poor when we do a ton for poor people all the time at every campus, by the way. We have one campus devoted to it, by the way, the Westside campus, just because they're strategically located around a lot of poverty. By the way, not everyone's in poverty there, but it's strategically located around a lot of it. And so people go there all the time to get free food, they get clothing, they get help. We are constantly helping people build their lives. I mean, we are helping the poor like crazy. You know why we advertise? So the poor know where to go. So that's why you advertise. So, so those who are hurting know where to go. And it's not just that campus. We help poor people in this campus. All campuses we do that. We help rich, poor, middle class alike, all of them. We are equal opportunity deliverers of Jesus. Amen. If you need the Lord, we're going to help you find the Lord. That's what we do. So, but we believe in advertising. We also believe in preaching, which means what? We give an invitation at every service. You ever notice I, I say that prayer at the end of every message? And by the way, when I say that prayer and you pray that prayer with me, once you prayed to receive Christ, he's in your heart. You say, well, then why do we pray it every week? Because there's someone here that's never done it. But we pray it every week because at that point, you are helping me lead someone else beside you that doesn't know Christ to the Lord. Does that make sense? And here's what I also love about saying that prayer routinely with you is that now you know how to witness to someone. 
If someone doesn't know Jesus, you can say, hey, pray this prayer with me, and you can just get roughly close, and you got it. It's not about the exact words. It's just like, do you believe that Jesus died for you? Yes. Do you believe you rose again? Do you believe you need him? Okay, pray this prayer. Okay, Jesus, dear Jesus, dear Jesus, I need you. I need you. I believe you died for my sin. I believe you died for my sin. I believe you rose again. I believe you rose again. Right? You just lead him through this prayer, and you can help them find Christ as well. So we believe in giving an invitation. And then to, to, to be sent means what? It means you are to be sent out into the world to bring. Would you write that down? To bring people back to church so they can hear about Christ. Now, these shoes are cool and all that, and I know you're supposed to get two pair, one to rock and one to stock. I've noticed something about churches, by the way. Some churches rock, some churches stock. Here's what I mean by that. The Christians get saved. They say, man, I don't, I don't want these to get all messed up. I don't want to get dirt from the world on them, so let me just put my faith away, keep it nice and clean, never hang out with any lost people, and just put my faith on the shelf. I stocked my life. I'm stocking my shelf. I'm stocking my faith. But Jesus says, no, I don't want you to stock your faith. I want you to rock your faith. Put them on and actually do what this was designed to do, which is to get in the game that she was meant to play with. It was meant to actually run and to score in. And so Jesus doesn't want you to take your faith and put it on a shelf. We are an open box church here. We want more people getting in and more people getting in and more people getting in so they find Christ. That's the way we see it. We want to be open box. Most churches are closed boxes. We believe we're supposed to be open box. Let me share another scripture with you. It says in Matthew 6, verse 21, it says this, for wherever your treasure is, there is your heart also. Wow, what does that mean? It means this. You know, the FBI right now, it seems like everything's about the FBI right now. Have you noticed that? I've never seen more about the FBI in my life than in the last few years, right? They're right now, they're like trying to prove collusion, right? With some of our, some of our heads of states and leaders and stuff like that, right? They're trying to do that. Real collusion is not what you're accused of, it's what they can prove, right? And so the FBI, I don't know if you know this, but the average FBI agent is actually not the guy with the gun in their hands that breaks down the door and throws you in the ground. I mean, that's cool to watch on TV, but most FBI agents actually are CPAs because they know if you're really gonna find out what someone's up to, follow the money. And it's kind of interesting too because when they follow the money in collusion, eh, they found out different results than they thought they were gonna find. When you follow the money, you see where real collusion is going on. Let me ask you a question. If an FBI person was assigned to you secretly and you didn't know it, right? <laughs> For all we know, it may be happening. I don't know, right? But an FBI agent was assigned to you to try to prove that you were colluding with God's church, that you were in cahoots with the kingdom of God, that you were colluding with, with the cause of Christ. Would there be a financial trail? Would there be a money trail that ever proves that you've supported the cause of Christ? Or would you come out clean? See, at the end of the day, we say we're all about this. Is there a money trail? Do we support the cause of Christ? I'm gonna break something down. I'm gonna take a little risk right now. You know, we're a risk-taking church anyway, so I'm gonna give you some numbers. This may be a little risky because I know I can be, I could definitely be critiqued or, or accused of whatever when I tell you these numbers because they may shock you. But I wanna give you some numbers. I wanna tell you what Easter cost us. Easter at our church, well, I've been pastoring church for 20 years, so I've got some trends. I can tell you generally what things cost. I will tell you, Easter this year will cost us a little over $50,000, just for Easter. It's just advertising, getting the word out, getting everything ready across all of our campuses. Remember that we got 10 campuses, we got a lot of people coming, there's a lot to do. So 50,000 may seem big, but it's actually not that large in comparison to the size of our church. You got 10, 11, 12,000 people, it, you know, it takes a lot. Because of that advertising, we will have roughly 5,000 or more 
new people come to our church in one weekend. In fact, did you know that in America, 40% of Americans say they're in church every weekend. Stats actually tell us 25% actually are, okay? So we typically think we're a little more spiritual than we really are, okay? 25% actually are in church on any given weekend. On Easter weekend, that number jumps to over 80%. That means people that normally would say no to you if you invite them to church will say yes for Easter. There's an 80% chance that you're gonna get a yes when you say, hey, you wanna come to Easter with me? You wanna come to my church for Easter? So I wanna challenge you to invite people to Easter. So let me do the math real quick. $50,000, 5,000 people, what does that mean? That means, how can I make an impact, Pastor? $50,000 divided by 5,000 is $10 a person. If you literally give an extra $10 this week, you're gonna help reach one person this week for Christ. I wanna challenge you to do that. I wanna give you a little scale. If you say, how can I make a difference? Here's how you can make a difference. Oh, I wanna make a difference with my life. Here's a way you can do it. It's a simple way, right? So if I give $10 today extra, that can bring one more person to Christ, that can bring one more person in the church to hear about Christ this weekend. If I give $100, I'm responsible for bringing 10 people. Just look at the row, down the row, you can say, I want this row to be paid for by me. This week, I'm gonna pay extra, I'm gonna invest in the kingdom to advertise so that the whole row, I can fill up a row for Jesus this weekend. How cool is that, right? Or you say, you know what, I'm gonna give $1,000 so that I personally have paid for 100 people to walk in the doors of Church Unlimited to receive Christ, right? Or I, I want a thousand people, that's $10,000. Some of you right now, oh, I could never do that, but there's people in the room that go, I could do that. I wanna challenge you. Are you willing to invest in the kingdom of God? Boy, it got quiet in here. <laughs> the truth is you can make a huge impact. Right, you can pull out your phone right now and do it. You can text to give right now, 45777, any amount. And you say, you know what? I want to be responsible for bringing someone to Christ this year. Over Christmas, by the way, Christmas, uh, this last year, Christmas night, we were just chilling out as a family, having a good time. And we let our dogs out in the backyard. And after we did that, we didn't know what happened, but our little dog, we have a little bee dog named Lola. She's real cute. And she, that's her. Yeah, don't be fooled. She's, she's really mean. But anyways, <laughs> like I now know with a female dog what that word means. I understand that now. She's really cute, okay, I admit. She's very, very cute, but she's tough. I mean, she's tough as nails. So she would go up to the fence of our neighbors and just bark like crazy to this big German shepherd all the time. Well, finally, after weeks of this, the German shepherd had had enough Christmas Day. German shepherd hopped the fence, took a bite out of Lola. When the, when, when the German shepherd bit Lola, we actually think the German shepherd's actually a sweet dog. We think the German shepherd was just playing with her, actually. We really do. Because, I mean, she could have just had Lola for lunch and been like, done, where's Lola? And she's drunk, like, mm, done. And that would have been it. You know, I mean, she could have just eaten Lola, right? Sorry, baby, I know it's your dog. Sorry. <laughs> it didn't happen. We're good, okay? My daughter's like, what? Okay. So she bit Lola, broke three ribs. Her lung collapsed, her right lung collapsed inside her, right? And so she comes hobbling in, barely making it. You know, she's bleeding all over the place. My daughter screams bloody murder. My boys freak out. They scream too, like girls. You did scream like girls. <laughs> you did. So anyway, so I come running out, and here's little Lola, blood all over her. I'm like, oh my. I mean, she looked like, we're thinking she got bit by an alligator or something. I don't know what happened here, but she looked horrible. We came in there, and I immediately grabbed the towel. Jessica's like, get the car, get the car. So I, I scoop her up, and we take her as fast as we can to the emergency room. Now, on the way to the emergency room, <laughs> I'm going to confess this. In my mind, I was like, okay, how much am I willing to spend? <laughs> now, I know some of you right now are judging me. Keep in mind point one, I am saved. I have called upon the name of the Lord. But you know you kind of have a number in your head. Anyone, especially the dads in the room know what I'm talking about, don't you, dad? You're like, 
All right, gets to this number, and little Fluffy's going down. I'm just saying. All right? We can buy four more Fluffies for that price. All right? We're, okay, I know, I know, I know. Judge me if you want. I know I'm horrible. I'm not talking about cats. Cats are easy. Like, put them down. We're good. That's, some, that's just a joke. That was just, please don't send me your emails. I was just kidding, as far as you know. So anyways, uh, so okay. So I had like a number in my head, right? You know, I was like, okay, this is what I'm willing to do, right? And it was actually because, and, and, and you know, this is how it works. The number's not based upon like really what you think the dog's worth. The number's based upon your family. You're like, okay, this is really, I'm thinking of my daughter. This is her dog. I'm thinking of my kids, my wife. I'm really not thinking about like the number, because if it was just me, I mean, okay, I'll stop. Anyways, the point is, <laughs> I had a number in my mind. And so I do love her, I do, she's cute and all that. But anyway, so I had a number, so I, I said to the doctor when he told me everything this was going on, this, this, and this, and he said, I said, she can live? He said, well, she probably could live because she would have already died if she was gonna die. I was like, oh, that's good. And so we're talking about all this, and so he said, here's what we're gonna do. We need to do surgery, we need to fix this, fix this, and fix that. And I said, okay, what are we looking at? So he tells me a number, and I was like, oh, okay. I mean, it was a lot, but it was in the number. So I was like, okay, let's do it, right? So they, she had surgery. Two, three weeks later, she's pretty much pretty close to back to normal. Now she's fully back to normal. Now she's running around. Now she's still barking at big dogs. I'm like, are you crazy? <laughs> right? Anyways, but she's fully back to normal at this point. But there was a number in my mind. I don't care how loving you are, there is probably a number in your mind of what you're willing to do. Now, if my kids got injured, if their life was on the line, there is no number I am not willing to pay. Would you agree with me? So when people talk to me about, I can't believe you spend all that money on advertising and on staging and all this crazy stuff, guys, it's about lost people. There is no number we are not willing to spend to get people to come in and hear about the love of Jesus. There is no limit to what we will do. By the way, packaging matters. You know, most Nikes come in a roll of bright orange box, not these. Stepped up the package, why? Because what's inside is a little more special, right? You notice our curtains closed, guess what? We're redoing the packaging. We're stepping it up. You guys are gonna be blown away this week. When you walk in, you're gonna be like, whoa, with what we're doing, why? Because we believe what we had to share is so important, we would make the packaging as nice as we possibly can. I'm challenging all of our campuses, by the way, to clean your campus spotless, put beautiful flowers out front all over the place where people go, wow, when they walk in. Why? Because what you're teaching on the inside is worth it. Make that packaging amazing so people hear the love of Jesus. Do everything you can. Heard, preaching, and sent. These are important. Where your treasure is, your heart is also. We will spend the money. We'll put it out there because we believe people are worth it. Romans chapter 10, verse 15 now says this. As it is written, check this out. Here's how it all ties together. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Huh. How beautiful are the feet. These shoes are nice, but they're not supposed to be stocked. They're supposed to be rocked. Just be wearing them. That's what they were made for. You were made to put your sneakers on and get out there and win people to Christ and bring them back into church to hear about the love of God. So here's the deal I'm gonna make you say, oh, pastor, I don't know the words to say. I'm not good with like how to explain to accept Jesus. I'm not good at that. Here's the thing, don't be offended by this, but you know what? I think God's calling me to that. That's something God's put in my heart. So here's what I'll do for you, okay? We'll make a little deal right now. You bring him, I'll witness to him. Deal? So let's shake on it. Stick your hand out right now across all of our audience, all of our campus, just stick your hand out right now. So I'm gonna do my best to do everything I can to bring the gospel in a very compelling, 
relevant, creative way that explains clearly that they need Jesus and that they can receive Christ. Our band's gonna knock themselves out, all of our bands, to make the worship amazing, videos, production, all that. We're gonna make the atrium amazing, children's ministries, everything. We're gonna do everything we can, that's our side. And we just ask you to bring people with you to church. Can we shake on it? Hands out. Let's shake right now. There we go, all right. Now there was a third hand in there. The third hand was the Holy Spirit. That then he will take what you and I have agreed upon and he will put his seal on it and people will get saved. If we both do our part. We both have to do our part together. Last scripture I wanna share with you is this. It says in Luke chapter 10, verse two, this is Jesus' words. He, he told them, the harvest is plentiful. You know, we, we actually have, our broadcast campus happens to be located next to farmland. And you can always tell when it's harvest. You've got these huge corn stalks, right, or wheat or whatever it is that they're, that they're farming. And you can always just smell it. You're like, wow, must be harvest time. You can just see it. And when you look at it, you never say, well, I don't think there's anything out there. I mean, it's everywhere. The question isn't whether or not there's, there's something to be harvested. The question is, is there anyone there to do it? What does that mean? Jesus said this, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. What I'm trying to tell you through the scripture, what Jesus is trying to say, is there are more people willing to accept Christ than you're willing to ask. There are more people willing to come to church with you next week than you're willing to invite. So Jesus is challenging us, saying, do your part. Lace up your shoes. Get those shoes off of the stock shelf put them on and use your feet, what they're meant for, to go out and bring people to Christ and bring them in so they can experience the love of God. That is our job, that's what we do. Oh, but pastor, it's so awkward, it's so weird. You know, if I bring it up at, if I bring it up at school or I bring it up you know, at work, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, you know, the two things you don't talk about, you know this, you don't talk about politics or religion, right? People say that, don't they, right? I would agree with you on some degree, I understand that it can be awkward. But when you say, well, it's gonna be awkward to invite someone to my church. First of all, it's not that, it's kind of simple. Like, hey, you wanna come to church with me? I and mean, that's not, I didn't say break down the four spiritual laws and all this kind of crazy stuff where they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. And if you feel led to witness full-blown, great. But generally, I recommend a relationship there to be able to do that unless God just on the spot says witness to that person. And God's done that to me many times. I just walk up to someone like, hey, I don't really know you, but God just spoke to me and told me to come talk to you about Jesus. What? And ends up, oftentimes, it becomes either a seed that's laid for them or they accept Christ. How many of you guys in here, by the way, have ever led someone to Christ? Would you raise your hand high if you've ever led someone to Christ? You've actually prayed that prayer with someone? Anyone? Raise your hand if you led someone to Christ. All right, hands up. Look at that. Can we give these people a hand right now? Right now, all these people with hands up. Great job. And those who didn't put their hands up, we're judging you right now. That's right, we are. No, I'm kidding. No, we're not. We're not judging you. But some of you right now say, you know, I'm not that into evangelism, more into discipleship. Let's talk about that for a second. What does it mean to be a mature disciple of Christ, right? Because people say, I want to be mature in my faith. I want to go deep in my faith, right? I want to be mature. Well, you know what? When your physical body gets mature, you actually go from talking like this to talking like this, right? <laughs> and so a boy turns into a man. And what is the proof that a boy is now a man, that a, a girl is now a woman? What is the physical, biological difference they can reproduce? So you say you're spiritually mature, but yet you've never reproduced? So you say you're deep in the Lord, but you've never been a witness? You say you have the heart of God, but you ignore his lost children? To be spiritually mature is to be a witness. It's not the only part of spiritual maturity, but it's a big one. So I wanna challenge you to grow in your discipleship this week by being an evangelist. 
by bringing people into God's house to experience the love of God. And you said, well, I'm into all the parts where you grow. Then great, bring someone that's lost, help them get saved, and then help them grow. Then have them join your small group with you and help them learn what a discipleship, what a disciple is and what a quiet time looks like and how to pray and how to grow in your faith and what it means to tithe and what it means to be a servant and what it means to forgive. I mean, you said you're a disciple. Then have disciples. Bring someone in. Help them become a follower of Christ, a fully devoted follower of Christ. But you said, but it's, it's just so awkward. You know what's more awkward? Judgment day. The day we're all standing in line waiting to get into heaven to face God. And he's going to ask each one of us, what did you do with my son? Did you receive Jesus? Just imagine you're standing in that line one day, and three in front of you is some guy you worked with, and four behind you is some girl that lived down the street from you. And what if one of them stops and says, hey, 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 I know you. You go, yeah. You go, I didn't know about this, and you knew about this? You knew this was coming, and you didn't tell me about this? So you were just gonna let me go to hell? You knew there was a savior and that people need to receive him to go to heaven. And you live right down the street from me and you were never gonna tell me about this. I think that's an awkward conversation. So I think I'd rather go ahead and broach the subject now and do what God called all of us, not just me, to do. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them all that I've commanded you. And lo, I will be with you always to the very end of the age, says Jesus in Matthew's account, chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. Go make disciples. Would you bow your heads with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed, and we take a moment to pray. I want to encourage you during this prayer time. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can do so right now. We're passionate about this. It is a game-changing move. It's the only thing you can do to become a Christian. You cannot be good enough. None of us are. Salvation is complete in Jesus. You must receive him to have eternal life. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, you can receive Christ right now. Would you pray this prayer with me? You can say, dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died for me. You paid the price for my sins and you rose again. I ask you to come into my heart. I repent of my sins. I make you my Lord and my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your name we pray. Amen. Isn't God good? His word is so true.